You're listening to episode 40 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Brian Smith. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the show. Um, this one is really important for everyone's games because it's really a deep dive into the tennis serve. And so I'm bringing on Brian Smith, who is the creator of Performance Tennis Training, to talk about the ins and outs of the tennis serve. And so we go from the very beginning of the stroke, uh, you know, figuring out grips to just progressing throughout the stroke, um, you know, step by step. And so this one is going to be really helpful for all of you who are struggling with the serve or just want to know, you know, the basics and also some advanced tips as well to help you improve your serve. Um, Super important part of the game, the most important part of the game, in my opinion. So without further ado, here is my interview with Brian Smith. Hey, everybody. This is Mirbon. Um, I'm really proud to have uh, Brian Smith on the Tennis Files podcast. He is the creator of Performance Tennis Training, uh, which is an amazing online resource for players and coaches. Uh, He posts a ton of uh, drills, tips, and mini lessons uh, constantly uh, onto YouTube and Facebook that I've looked at and that has uh, definitely uh, helped my game. Um, he's also the high-performance director uh, at uh, Elite Sports Clubs in Mil- Milwaukee. And Brian has been developing players since 1996, and he's really found uh, a strong niche in building uh, tennis players and programs. And um, again, Brian, uh, thanks so much for coming onto the podcast, and it's going to be uh, fun to speak with you today. Sounds great, Mirban. I'm up. I appreciate you inviting me to be part of your podcast. Oh yeah, anytime, anytime. I mean, like I said, you're doing really great work, and I've been looking at your videos. I mean, I just saw you post a backhand slice video today with uh, some some good content in that. So, um, you know, kudos to all of the work you're doing. I appreciate it. Yeah, sure. Um, but Brian, so um, before we dive into uh, the serve, which I'm really excited to uh, talk to you about, I just want to get a sense of uh, you know. First off, how did you get to where you are in your tennis career today? Well, you know, tennis has always kind of been a passion of mine. And, you know, growing up, not really having a uh, a lot of money, um, I kind of basically had to start uh, teaching myself how to play the game and really learning by visual lessons that I've been watching and watching players play and really trying to figure out how I can implement that into my game. And with that, I really learned how to kind of teach players because I had to kind of teach myself. And with my early career with some of the top tennis directors at some of the top clubs in the country, I was really able to learn and absorb a lot of knowledge, not only in running programs, but also developing beginner level players as well as um, high performance adult and junior level players. So, you know, a lot of it is just education through watching, learning, and, and really asking a lot of questions throughout the you know my eighteen years of teaching tennis. That's awesome, Brian. And I'm curious. You know, obviously, you you mentioned that you immersed yourself in the game and and learned from others. And uh, were there any uh, uh, tennis books that you can remember that you uh, you know you really liked uh, reading that helped your game? Yeah, one of the books that I got as a Christmas gift when I was in high school is the book Winning Ugly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always struggled with certain style players, and I really love that book's in-depth knowledge of strategies to play against these different styles. And I, I probably read that book, you know, at least once a week uh, through my junior and senior year of high school just to kind of get a, a few tips here and there to play against certain style players. Yeah, Brian, I love that book. Um, you know, I wrote an article about formulating game plans and an accompanying PDF uh, 
for uh, my audience and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I mean, this just really helped me and kind of think about the game more and strategize before matches and things like that. Super important. You mentioned, um, you know, your your tennis uh, career and everything, but what what really drives you uh, to become uh, to be a tennis coach? You know, every single day when you wake up in the morning. You know, with my passion for tennis and my you know ability to kind of help players, putting both of those together and, and coaching tennis kind of like the perfect job for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't really even consider it a job because I love what I do day in and day out. Um, I could not imagine doing anything else on a day-to-day basis um you know it's it's something that i really have a passion for helping players and i really put a lot of effort into each of my players whether they're you know a two five beginner or a nationally ranked you know junior player they both get the same amount of passion from me and and i just enjoy it well you know i really love that brian i love your passion for the sport it's clearly evident in and all the uh, content you're producing. And, you know, I can relate to you um, somewhat. You know, I mean, you have, uh, you know, a a nine-to-five job or maybe longer uh, as, you know, a high-performance director uh, at your uh, tennis club. And then, you know, I work as well, but we both produce content, you know, after our jobs, and and you're really churning out the videos. And, you know, a lot of people are really enjoying those. So uh, thank you for doing that. My pleasure. Awesome. So... Uh, now uh, we're going to talk about the serve, and uh, obviously the serve is, I think, you know, the most important part of the game. Um, you're serving half the time, and uh, it can really make a huge difference between your, uh, you know, winning and losing matches. So, in your view, Brian, what? Why is the serve such an important part of the game? Well, you know, like you said, it's it's the one shot. You, you know, when you're when you're serving, this is the one time you get to start a point really on your terms. You know, everything else that we've done in a point is reactionary. When you're serving, you get to start this point however you wish to start it. And, you know, it, it's something that if you've done correctly, you can really make a big advantage in not only holding serve, but b- building momentum for your return games. So, you know, developing a great serve is something that a lot of players should spend more time focusing on. Yeah, no, thanks a lot for emphasizing that, Brian. And so, you know, talking about the beginning of the serve and the basics and whatnot, so uh, what's the best grip that we should be using for the serves? And, and if there are other variations, uh, what are those ones that you teach as well to your students? You know, I think the, the most common and universal serve grip is obviously the continental grip. I think that offers the best variety is being able to hit all the different spins and flat serves and all the easy um, locations. Another variation that I've seen work with some players, especially with players that hit more spin serves than they would flat serves, is players hitting with the eastern backhand grip. Mm-hmm. Um, it does have some limitations, but it does allow um, players to have a lot more spin. And some people do feel a little bit more control with an eastern backhand grip. But my preference for most 95% of my players is to serve with a continental grip mainly for the comfort and variety that you can hit with it. Got you, Brian. And so I guess just to clarify, you know, for some of our audience, so if uh, for the Eastern um, backhand grip, uh, where, which bevel would that be on the uh, handle? If you're looking at a top of the racket with the one being the top, two on each side, you would be having your index finger, the meat of the bottom of your index finger on the left number two. So like an Eastern backhand grip, whereas a continental would be the, the right bevel on the, the index finger on the right two bevel and the meat of the base of your palm on the bottom bevel of the two. Awesome. Thanks for that. And I actually have a video on one of my sites explaining that as well. Sweet. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe after the show, I can get that video from you and I can link it in the show notes. That'd be great. No problem. Sweet. Uh, and then, so as far as the stance, you know, obviously we see a lot of variation in between what players and amateurs do as well. And I guess mainly there's a pinpoint or, and the platform stance and there's variation. So uh, which stance do you prefer? Personally, I, I like the pinpoint stance. Um, it's something that I started with when I started teaching uh, or I started playing, mainly because I was a servant volleyer. So for me, it was able to help me get a little bit more momentum going forward. 
but the platform stance is also very popular and I do use it with a lot of my students, especially earlier on when they're having trouble with their lower body. It's a little easier for them to get some control of their motion. You know, a lot of those stances are personal preference. It's what feels most comfortable to the server themselves. And, you know, you can generate power off both of them. It's really a personal preference as to how it feels in your fluidity of your serve. Yeah, Brian, I definitely like, uh, you know, what you just said, obviously. And, um, you know, I agree. I remember my coaches at some points when I had some kinks in my serve, they would just um, direct me to just have the platform stance because, like you said, there's less moving parts. But then, you know, obviously you can, you can get a lot of nice rhythm going, um, in particular with the pinpoint stance and uh, exploding forward into the court and whatnot. So, um, yeah, just down to right. personal preference, like you said. So as far as now the, the backswing or the take back, I mean, obviously there's variation in that too. And so uh, can you tell us your preference on what type of, uh, you know, how far of a backswing you, you know you prefer? Well, for me personally, I started um, with an abbreviated backswing. I kind of modeled my serve after the old Patrick Rafter serve right. um, with the serve and volley. Over the course of going through college and ended up staying back a little bit more, my serve swing did get a little longer, um, not necessarily by preference. It just happened to, to get there. So I'm actually more of a full backswing server now. You know, I think both of them have the ability to do the same things, and it goes back to the personal preference. You know, some players that have really short tosses tend to have an abbreviated backswing. Players that have a little bit longer toss or a higher toss you know, tend to have a little bit longer or fuller backswing, you know, you can generate power and spin off both of them. You just got to try to find the right timing of your motion to the toss with each of them. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point uh, that Brian said is that it just really comes down to the timing of, you know, all the parts. And so obviously depending on the height of the toss, then you, you know, that'll dictate in large part your, your backswing and whatnot. So actually, what would you say to players who, because um, a lot of them say it just it just matters. Um, all that matters is if you can get to the position, you know, the trophy position. Essentially, what's your take on that uh, philosophy? Well, I mean, the trophy position. You know, a lot of times when people think of the trophy position, they put it there as that's where there should be a stop or or so called hitch in their motion. And in reality, you don't really want to have any slowdown or hitch in that motion. And all the motions usually get back into the trophy position at some point, but the racket continues its motion. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's whether or not you're going to go down with the racket head first to get up, or you're going to go straight up and you're going to bring the elbow down to get into that motion. It really comes down to, you know, what type of length you have, you know, typically shorter players I've found have more success going with an abbreviated motion because typically they have a little shorter toss. Mm-hmm. Taller, longer players that have a longer wingspan and have a higher toss, their timing is a little bit easier to time with, with a fuller backswing. But as long as they get to that back point, it, it really doesn't matter which one you do. But they got to get back to that trophy position at some point without a hitch. Right, right. I appreciate that, Brian. And so, you know, even myself as well, a lot of players, um, you know, we we may have hitches or, you know, not the smoothest service motion, let's say. Um, but what tips do you have for our audience to help them get a or develop a more relaxed and fluid backswing? You know, having a relaxed, you know, motion in general is, is really the key to developing the serve. You know, a lot of times servers are really tense, whether it's the, the situation they're serving in or they're not having a good serve day and they end up squeezing that racket like they're choking it. And that right there, uh, you know, will develop some hitches and some herky jerkiness to your serve. My biggest tip is if just breathe and just relax and do some shadow swings, whether or not you walk back to the tarp and you do a couple back there, just to relax, you're going to go up there and, and be able to, to pop a serve, you know, like you did if it was the first point of a match. Two things that I do with my students is when they are developing a tightness in their motion is I have them do a shadow swing and then immediately follow it up with a toss and a hit. And I want them to feel the exact same fluidity when they hit the ball to when they didn't hit the ball. And if there's something there that's a little off, 
then we talk about a little bit more and I might go in through doing two or three shadow swings to every hit ball. And that tends to kind of get them relaxed a little bit more through the motion. And then they can kind of fluid, have their um, swing become a little more fluid and more relaxed. Yeah, I really like that one, Brian. I've tried that myself, and it definitely works really well. And also, uh, you know, in talking about the smoothing out the service motion, I remember speaking with Junior Orr, who's a professional tennis player, um, on episode 22, and he mentioned the uh, using the old uh, sock and ball, so just filling up the sock yep. with a couple balls, yeah, and just shadow swinging there as well, and that's a good one uh, that I like. Yep. Um, so that's excellent. Great. So... As far as um, smoothing out hitches, are there any other particular tools that you that you think we can use as well? Well, you know, one of the tools that I've been using lately um, has been the Momentum Ace Trainer. I know some of some players have seen it on maybe the Tennis Channel infomercials or through Nick Volatari, you know, infomercials. But it's something that I've used a lot lately when we had one here at the club, and it's really a great tool because it really does show you where you do have a hitch because the ball will really kind of roll off and, and you really notice it more so right away than afterwards. Because a lot of times players, when they're going through and they're serving, they don't really feel their hitches unless someone's showing it to them or telling them about that. But for someone that doesn't have some a coach or themselves on video to see it, a good tool would be the ace trainer because you will actually be able to feel immediately when you have that, that hitch or that slowdown in your motion and you can help to start correcting it by yourself. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Um, I really appreciate you telling us about this tool. Um, you know, I don't believe I I've, I've ever heard of it, but I just Googled it now and it looks pretty neat. So I'll definitely include that, um, tool also in the show notes. Uh, that's, that's excellent. So, uh, moving to, you know, kind of the loading and striking phase of the serve, I'm curious about a rotation because, I mean, obviously you see some servers like McEnroe starting like completely sideways and you see a whole variation of tennis players, um, you know, rotating uh, different amounts. So how much do you think, uh, Brian, that we should be rotating our body on the serve? Well, you know, a lot of times when you, you know, we look at, you know, the old McEnroe system, you know, the 80s and even Ivan Isovich are kind of a little bit, you know, kind of polar opposite there. Ivan Isovich was almost starting shoulder squared and it would go into the turn, go into his motion. You know, I think a lot of it is, you know, it doesn't really matter how you start, but how you go up through that motion. If you have too much shoulder rotation, you limit yourself on the amount of serves that you can hit and the amount of power you gain. But for me, I try to get my spoons just to have enough shoulder rotation so that if they had a logo or a name on their back, that the person obviously couldn't see the whole thing, but you could exactly see the colors or the start of the name. I think that gives you just enough rotation that you can disguise some serves and be able to generate enough torque to generate some good power on the serve. Nice, nice. And so just to, I guess, clarify, as far as, um, you know, starting, like, you know, how much you face the... Uh, net or whatnot, like that doesn't really matter um, as, as long as you're just getting enough turn to where the logo is partially seen? Correct. Okay. You know, I think part of it, you know, some players will start with their shoulders kind of squared, and as they go through their backswing, their shoulders will rotate, and then some players start already rotated. I think that's a personal preference as long as you're always getting to a little bit of rotation somewhere in your motion. Excellent. Excellent. So now regarding the loading uh, position, I mean, what what do you think the ideal um, loading position is for players on the serve prior to, uh, you know, striking the ball? You know, I think ideal is, you know, having obviously, you know, the hip or the old bow and arrow um, kind of pointing out towards the court a little bit, you know, and then, you know, roughly, you know, maybe nine inches to maybe a foot max of knee bend. And a lot of that's going to be dependent on, you know, obviously the player and their size, but, you know, I think if you get too much, um, knee bend into a serve, you know, that's going to be very hard to maintain over the course, especially of a long match. Mm -hmm. And if you're not really getting too much knee bend at all, then you're really putting a lot of strain on your, your shoulder and your upper arm to create that power. So I think if you just get a, a, you know, a good, you know, six inches to foot knee bend, and, you know, you use your hip to kind of lead out there and, and engage your core and your rotation, 
that's the ideal loading, and that's I think we're going to get the max amount of power. Yeah, no, I like that. I agree with that um, wholeheartedly. So regarding the toss, I mean, we touched upon that a bit when talking about the backswing. Um, but what's your mm-hmm. view, you know, Brian, on the ideal height uh, of our tosses? You know, for me, I, I always tell my players that you want to try to keep the toss contact point similar to the apex of the toss or as close to the apex of the toss as possible because that ball is going to start slowing down once it starts reaching its apex and, and before it starts to fall. And that's where it's going to be able to stay in the zone a little bit longer and you'll have a better contact point. I think the, uh, the higher that toss gets and the, the farther the ball's dropping into the strike zone, the faster it's falling. And it's going to be a lot harder to time that ball, you know, like the old Steffi Graf toss. Um, you know, sometimes she tossed that ball so high, she's waiting for it. You know, I think there that develops a lot of timing issues. And, you know, on the flip side of that, you know, if you try to hit it on the way up, you know, you might have to speed up your motion a little bit to catch your toss. And a lot of times that can throw off your motion as far as the fluidity and the consistency as well. So I think the apex of your toss should be, you know, basically just as the ball starting to drop should be right around where you should be making contact with that toss. Right. I love that. I think with like a lot of things, you know, the happy medium between a, you know, super high and super, you know, low uh, works the best. So that's great. And so there's even, um, you know, technique and a lot of players don't think about the technique of how to toss the ball. But I mean, you know, there there are different ways to do it. Um, So I'm curious on how you teach your players to uh, toss the ball as far as like the position of the like palm and hand and whatnot uh, when they're doing it. You know, the biggest thing with the toss is the consistency aspect of it. So, you know, if if I have a player that, you know, either holds it like a cup or, you know, down in their palm, but they're very consistent holding it that way and they're very consistent getting that ball on the spot, I'll basically leave it alone. I don't want to mess with something that's already kind of consistent and comfortable for a player. But for players that are are having issues with the toss, um, I try to get them to hold it with their palm up and I want them to hold it in the tips of their fingers, in the top third knuckle part of their fingers. And I really try to get them to release the ball rather than roll the ball off their fingers. I think when you roll the ball off your fingers, there's too many things that could go wrong with it. And I'd much rather you just keep the line of your toss and just release the ball up. And, I, you know, the less motion on the toss, if the toss is spinning too much, especially in the wind, there's more things that could go wrong with it. And, you know, I try to keep almost like a knuckleball in baseball. Very little rotation is what I try to get my players to do. So I want them to release rather than roll that ball toss off their fingers. Yeah, I love that advice as well. I mean, I remember um, watching a video of myself uh, serving a few years ago, and I just I saw myself kind of like flicking the ball almost, and that would just yeah. really led to a lot of inconsistency. So, uh, again, releasing the ball um, in your, when you toss is the best way to go here. Yep. So, you know, a lot of players um, talk about pronation, um, but for those who don't really know about it or who want to know more about it, um, Brian, so what is the concept of pronation? How can we use it to hit um, an ideal serve? Well, pronation is a natural motion our shoulder will go through um, when we're going every, anything overhand. You know, like when you're sitting and your hands are just down at your side, you know, you're in a neutral neutral stance but when you go up and you lead up on the serve and your hand goes up, kind of like you're going to high five someone that's pronation. And that will happen naturally when you throw a ball. Um, and a lot of players don't think about it when they serve and they struggle with the contact point, especially when they're going into a continental grip because they, they think I'm just going to throw the racket through, you know, just with my hand sideways and the ball ends up going directly sideways but we don't want to force a racket. We want that natural pronation to happen. And when players switch to a continental grip, they have to use the natural pronation to have an effective serve because otherwise the ball is always going to go left and right. But the way I approach pronation is I try to let them visualize it and I want them to high five that ball and try to feel that rotation of that arm. So they understand what that racket's supposed to do. And once they get that feeling down, then they have a good understanding 
of what that is supposed to do at the contact point. Oh, that's excellent. Uh, excellent uh, explanation about pronation. And so just curious as well. So if I were to have, say, like kind of a weak continental grip, because I guess for some people it uh, definitely feels a little uncomfortable, um, would that mm-hmm. still allow us to pronate properly? Yeah. I mean, what I do when, when I have players that are a little weaker, especially when they're transitioning into a continental grip, is I start them off at the service line to really get the feel down for that, and then I inch their way back. Because a lot of times when players switch the continental grip from the baseline, it, it is a weaker motion. So as I'm transitioning, I still let players kind of dabble with their, with their grip that they're coming from, especially when they're playing match play. But I really start to focus on them when they're practicing to really focus on the continental grip. And I'll stagger them. I'll move them from the service line to three-quarters court to the baseline once they start getting more of the feel down for it. Because you're right, when people switch to a continental grip, they, they will feel very weak with it because there's not a lot of racket face behind the ball, especially in the beginning. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we had uh, Kim Salzman on the previous episode, and she mentioned how it, it you know, switching the continental grip felt really weird at first, but uh, eventually she found, uh, you know, the amazing benefits of uh, getting that grip. And as Brian said, you know, the best way to approach things is uh, with progressions, um, not just straight away uh, changing. That's going to be really hard. Um, so you have to take time to develop, uh, you know, the, your, your grip and try it at different uh, stages of competitive play and whatnot. So now, uh, you know, a huge thing, the second serve, I mean, this is the point where a lot of players, they get nervous, they double fault, they think about, you know, the the double faulting too much and whatnot. But so, you know, with the second serve, um, what, what types of second serves can players hit? You know, a, a second serve, you could basically do all the same serves you would, you would do at the first, uh, as a first serve. And, you know, the, the ones have a little bit more, consistency to them obviously going to be your your slice serves um top spin or kick serves are are very popular for second serves uh what i try to get my players to do is is really have a lot of variety with their second serves you don't want to have the same second serve each and every time so i try to really focus on positions of the second serve whether they're going to go wide body or t um you know, if I'm playing or if I'm teaching with someone that's, uh, you know, say a 4-0 or lower, they may not be able to hit a good kick or maybe a weaker um, female player or young students may not be able to hit a, a kick serve quite yet. But it doesn't necessarily mean they can't have a good second serve. We just got to find a good second serve that works for them. But you know, any serve, I, I, what I always tell players, though, is you don't want to have a really big first serve and a tap-in second serve. Mm-hmm. You want to have something that's reliable that you wouldn't be afraid to use as a first serve if you needed to. Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, there's definitely the old adage, you're only as good as your second serve. Um, True. And, and like you said, with the placement, I mean, even if you have trouble hitting a kick, um, which, you know, admittedly it can be tough for players, um, if you can vary up, you know your second serves with the placement and the the spins, uh, the slice and um, you know top spin, that would be great and help you out a lot. So um, you know, lots of players, you know, they want to hit a good second serve, but then they have issues actually getting more spin on the ball. So, what tips can you give us, Brian, on how we can get more spin on our serves? Well, number one is we want to keep the swing speed relatively high. A lot of times when players hit second serves, they, they drastically reduce their swing speed. And not only is that going to take the speed off the ball, but it's also going to take your ability to put spin on the ball. Um, so what I do a lot with my players, when I really want them to try to feel the spin, is I either bring on a bench or a chair or even have them kneel, depending upon who it is. And I have them take the legs out of the equation, and I have them really focusing on the arm action of the serve and creating that racket speed with the arm. And by them being a little lower than what they would be if they're standing, they now have to actually create the height as well. And that will also help them develop that spin needed to bring that ball down. And usually after doing that for a little while, I take that bench out and I have them hit the serve standing. And the, the main goal is to keep that swing speed the same 
as it was down below. And that's a great way to get them to feel the spin. Once they feel the spin, then they can start controlling that spin. That's where we'll start getting on some targets to work with. Yeah, that's wonderful advice. Uh, you might be slightly surprised, Brian, but I actually watched that video when you um, uh, hit second serve kneeling. And so I actually did it on the court. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was great. And I actually did it on the court myself, I think, the next day when I was able to play tennis. Uh, and, it, you know, it obviously you know worked really well. Um, you know, cause it forces you, like you said, to hit up on the ball and create spin and the arc that you need to get the ball over the net. So, uh, that's, that's good stuff. So about the first serve, you know, obviously it's hugely important in the game and whatnot, but what are three tips you can give us for generating more power uh, on our first serves? You know, I think, you know, in, in really in order of the top three, I think, you know, number three would be, you know, you got to stay relaxed. The more relaxed you are when you're serving, the more swing speed you're going to be able to generate. When your muscles are tight, you're not really going to be able to generate as much power as people think. You know, a lot of times people go up there and they grip that racket really tight and they think they're just going to go up there and swing as hard as they can. And they don't really hit the ball any harder than if they were just relaxed and just let the racket fly. You know, right. you know that is probably the number one culprit, I think, of, of really zapping power in most players. They just they get tensed up. Mm-hmm. Um, number two is you really got to make sure you're reaching up for the serve. You know, a lot of times when people, you know, try to swing harder, you know, their timing gets thrown off and they either swing too early and catch the toss on the way up or they let that ball toss drop too low where they think they have a little bit more power and they end up pushing that ball into the fence. Um, you know, you got to make sure you're still reaching up for that where you're getting a, a good trajectory into the court. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be pretty tall to be able to hit the ball down into the court. So the higher you can get that contact point, the more angle you have into the court, which generates a little bit more power and, and consistency for you. Mm-hmm. And number one, I think people got to focus on the right snap. You know, I think when, when people go out there and I think of snapping, a lot of times people are thinking about the wrist snap at the top. And, you know, that's really the wrong snap as far as where the power comes from. That's going to be more generation of spin and a little bit more of the control. But the snap in the back part of your motion or, or the trophy position where the racket starts to come forward, that's where a lot of the power is starting to be generated from. That's where the racket speed starts. So the bigger snap you can get back there in the forward trajectory up the contact, that's going to create a lot more power, similar to a pitcher. You know, a pitcher's not going to generate the power from the wrist snap. That's where they're going to generate the type of pitch they're hitting or they're throwing, a curveball, fastball, or whatever. Same thing with a, with, a, uh, with a serve. That power is generated in the back motion when the arm starts to come forward. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Great tips, Brian. I mean, you know, so the first one you said is to stay relaxed. And, you know, you see a lot of players who they, when they want to hit a big serve, they just tense up. You can even see their muscles kind of clench. And then they just go, you know, they they swing as hard as they can. But, you know, it's a more experienced player can produce more speed than that with a relaxed uh, fluid motion, um, as Brian said. And um, the reach, uh, that reminds me, you know, one of my, uh, former coaches, uh, Ken, actually, um, he had me get a racket and go to a uh, grassy hill uh, and throw the racket up to the sky, basically. And that's, you know, in line with what you're talking about. You're reaching, you're hitting up on the ball, uh, uh, you know, up to the ball. Um, and then, you know, snapping from the trophy position, another great tip. Um, and, you know, just to go along with uh, you know, the relaxed advice, um, I remember having a, a lesson recently, actually, in where, you know, my coach, he, he had me just focus really on the fluidity of the serve, um, because, you know, if you end up pausing, um, that really, at certain points, that really c- can rob you of power. And so if you can keep your motion fluid and relaxed, it'll help you generate a lot of pl- uh, power. Um, 
But Brian, so this is kind of the opposite of the spin question where some players have trouble hitting a flat first serve. And so uh, how can players hit a, a flatter or a flat first serve? You know, I think the, the number one thing a lot of times players have trouble hitting a flat serve is they they try to overswing. So it throws their timing off of their contact point. Um, you know, they either swing too fast and they actually get through their pronation before they actually make contact and they kind of get that screwball looking effect where they, you know, they don't really get the, the line they're wanting on the serve. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, on the flip side of that is they, they try to really muscle it. And by doing that, it throws off their, their ability to actually pronate properly. And they end up still hitting a spin serve. You know, a lot of times, you know, when people hit flat serves, they, they think it really means no spin. And that's really not the case. It's really the trajectory of the ball. You know, you watch Andy Roddick. You know, I had the privilege of practicing Andy Roddick a few times when I was living in Austin. And, and I remember returning some serves, and he would hit the tee, and the ball would end up behind me at the doubles alley. I mean, that's how much spin he still had on his flat serve, hitting 140 miles an hour. You know, it's really the trajectory of the ball. And a lot of times people think that it's just really no spin. Even on a flat serve, you still want to have a little bit of spin because that's your safety. If you have no spin, the ball's just not going to have any bite to the air and it's just going to float on you. So I think players try to think of no spin and they try to overswing. And I think that kills their ability to hit a flat serve. Wow, that's pretty ridiculous. And sorry if I missed this. So basically... Roddick was serving it. Did you say he was serving it down the tee and it ended up in the, yep. wow. wow that's yeah. Crazy. So he would hit, he would hit a serve down the tee where, you know, I was returning on the ad or on the do side mm-hmm. and, you know, obviously I missed it and the ball went flying behind me and, you know, hit the fence basically at the singles line mm-hmm. to the wall. Wow. And, you know, I, it, it went flat through the air, but it was the movement when it hits the ground. That was the big aha moment for me i'm like wow you know that thing does have a ton of movement you know when you break it down and you watch a a big server like that in slow motion their racket is basically almost flat at contact but the motion of that ball coming off those off those strings still creates spin and i think that amateur players think that you know a flat serve is just basically a knuckleball no spin and that's where they get in trouble because they can't control it Wow. So, so when we go up to hit flat serves, and like you said, you know, it's it's obviously advantageous to not just always go for pure flat. Uh, should we just be thinking like, okay, I'm going to hit this serve, you know, primarily flat, but there's still going to be some spin to it? Is that kind of what? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I think you want you still want to have a little bit of spin. I mean, if you have a straight line BB serve, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's going to be very hard to duplicate that. Yeah. And you don't want to have too big a difference between a hard slice and a flat serve. You're just adding a little bit more speed to the flat serve, which means you're taking a little bit of movement off the ball. There's really not that big of a difference in those two types of serves. Yeah, that's great advice, Brian. I mean, I think if players can get out of that mindset that the first serve is like all out blitzkrieg and the second serve is, um, you know, all spin or whatever, you know, like if, if they can just provide a tiny bit more parity with at least the first serve, uh, when you hit that and get some spin on there, that'll help a lot. So regarding first serve placement and type, I mean, you mentioned that you like it to have some spin, but what, what are your preferred, uh, placements? If, if you can go into that a little bit, you know, for me and my style, okay, I'm more of an attacking style player, which means I'm always looking for opportunities to move forward or, or control points. You know, my, on the do side, my go-to serve is the out wide serve. Um, and I, I vary up the, uh, the speeds and the spins on those to try to keep the variety there. But my whole goal there is to open up the backhand corner. Um, if I'm looking to stay back and approach, you know, from the baseline, that's my go-to tactic. If I'm looking to serve in volley or, or look to come in on the serve, I'm, I'm really good at, you know, looking at the, the the left body hip serve, I like. I like to create a little bit of a jam mm. on a player so that it's harder for them to get a clean look at the return. You know, on the ad side, my 
my favorite serve to hit is the flat one out wide. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's a very low percentage serve, but it's one that I actually hit at a relatively high percentage. I've always kind of had that serve in my back pocket, but I don't use it all the time. I, I'm, I'm more or less using it on big points or when I would think they're not expecting it. You know, I'm not afraid to pull it out at, uh, at crucial moments in a match, but I try to save it for either, you know, a big point or as a surprise um, to my opponents. But my go-to one on the ad side would be the heavy slice down the tee where I can try to get a little bit more stretch from the forehand um, and maybe draw a weak return that I can either, depending on the return, be able to either drive to a forehand corner and approach or go to the backhand corner and approach. All right. That's great stuff, Brian. And, you know, as Brian is saying, you know, you, you want to vary up what you're doing depending on, you know, your goals and your opponent and things like that. Um, see what's most effective with that serve and, and also your strengths as well. You know, just some general advice about the serve as well, which we, we all really appreciate is, um, uh, you know, pe- people go out there on the practice court and they want to hit a bunch of serves. And I'm just curious, how many serves do you recommend that we practice hitting a day? Well, you know, for, for me, you know, most times it's hard for players to get out there and, and, and practice serve. So, you know, however much you can get out there, do as much as you can. But you want to really go out there and do it the right way. You know, I've seen a lot of players go out and they take a basket of balls and they're hitting serves for an hour. But they're really there's no plan to what they're doing out there. They're just hitting the serve and it's going to the same spot every time in the middle of the box. I always tell people, I'm like, go out there with a purpose when you serve, you know, and that could be, you know, hitting a specific spot, working on a specific aspect of the, the, the serve motion. If you're having, if you're changing, maybe to a continental grip, maybe you're focusing on the progressions, trying to develop that, but go up there and hit certain serves. So let's say you're working on the down the T serve, work on the down the T serve and don't move off of that dial that serve in you know a lot of times people go out there and they hit two down the tee two out wide two at the body but they didn't make any of those so they're not really dialing anything in so they're really not getting any better at it i'd much rather you miss wide going down the tee miss at the body going down the tee and and start to dial that thought in a little bit better and you're going to be able to now be able to feel that and know what that feels like to hit that serve and once you dial it in keep going there. So it becomes a little bit more about feel and not necessarily about luck when you're serving there. All right, great stuff, Brian. I mean, just put it into uh, you know, a couple words, practice with a purpose. I mean, always, always you got it. Yeah, exactly do that when you're out there and you're going to improve your game dramatically. As far as the serve, I mean, obviously that takes a lot of um, flexibility and strength and power and in different areas of, of your body. And uh, I've talked about this a little bit with uh, Dr. Mark Kovacs, episode 33, uh, um, you know, kinetic chain and whatnot. But uh, Brian, to you, um, what parts of the body do we need to strengthen to have a stronger serve? You know, I think the main two, obviously the core, um, you know, your, your core kind of stabilizes your body. So I'm sure Mark said, you know, the, you know, as far as kinetic chain, you know, your power has got to come from, from the ground through your legs, through your core, up through your arm, up through your racket. So if your core is unstable, you're not going to really generate a lot of power. The, the, the kinetic chain is kind of going to be broken right about there. Mm-hmm. Um, and number, number one, I think for, for people is, is the rotator cuff. You know, a lot of people, they go out there and they strengthen their shoulders, but they don't necessarily strengthen their rotator cuff. And, you know, I tore my rotator cuff in college. So I kind of understand the importance of, of strengthening that, you know, it's a very small part of the inner part of the shoulder, but it basically drives your arm in a throwing motion. And if that has any sort of weakness in there, you know, it can really zap the power because you'll have no stability at the contact point on the serve. And, and you can be swinging as hard as you want. And if when you don't have that stability, you just feel like you have nothing behind your serve. So, you know, I think, you know, rotator cuff and core are my one and two right there. Yeah, that's definitely huge. Rotator cuff. I mean, especially you can feel it once you, you know, hit a ton of serves out there. You're going to especially feel it in your rotator cuff. So that's that's a big one, um, as well as the core, of course. 
What are a couple uh, of your favorite point patterns? And you talked about you know placement of the serve, but what what are a couple of your favorite point patterns uh, for servers? You know, I think part of point pattern. I think people when they go up and they serve, they should have an idea of what they're looking for coming back off that serve. And a lot of that is you know based on what we do well as players. You know, for me personally, I I prefer to hit a forehand. So when I go up to serve. I'm trying to figure out what serve can I hit to get this player to hit back to my forehand. And it doesn't mean it's always going to happen. I'm going to have a plan for a backhand as well. But I want to have an idea based on my serve, what ball am I going to get back? And I think that's a lot of times mm-hmm. players don't really think about the ball coming back off the serve. And, you know, that point pattern right there, that, that those first two shots are critical to you holding serve. It doesn't matter how good your serve actually is. If you don't have a plan to back it up, you're going to get broke more often than not. You know, the best players are the ones that can hit a good serve with a plan and then be able to back that serve up with that next shot or even two shots past that. You know, for me, I'm always looking to control points with my forehand. So, Mm -hmm. you know, on the, on the do side, like I said, I like to hit my serve out wide because most returns out there will end up coming down the middle or cross court, which is going to be to my forehand side. Mm-hmm. And on the deuce, on the ad side, like I said before, like, you know, going down the tee, if players want to take the risk and go inside out with the return, they can, but most of them are going to come a little early with it, either take the forehand down the line or down the middle, which is again, to my forehand. And then I have a plan for what I'm going to do with that forehand based on, you know, how the match is going and my strengths and weaknesses of my player that I'm playing against. Awesome stuff, Brian. Yeah, just I mean, having a big game plan, being able to anticipate what's gonna, what is going to happen, just just like chess players do, um, that's going to pay huge dividends down the line. And actually, you know, I just uh, was thinking about the rotator cuff um, uh, a bit. And so, do you have any favorite exercises or anything uh, to just help um, you know develop or strengthen or keep the rotator cuff uh, healthier? Yeah, you know, I do I do a lot of rubber band work, um, especially when I'm going to go play a tournament or, you know, I've been playing quite a bit. I just do um, external rotations mm-hmm. with the rubber band. Mm-hmm. Um, that it, it does give it a little burn, which means I'm, I know I'm working it, but I don't overdo it. You know, a lot of times people do it to the point where it's so fatigued they can't even use it. Um, and I think that's going to be something that people can can do to to hurt it another thing too is if you're on the tennis court you can just grab a tennis ball and just put your arm out elbows equal with your shoulder and your 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 ball and your hand you know facing forward and just rotate the arm or the hand backwards to where then your fist is facing the sky Um, and that will also warm up and start to strengthen that rotator cuff as well and that's something players can do anywhere Awesome. Really appreciate that, Brian. Um, you know, in addition to your, your uh, videos, what are some of your favorite resources for improving uh, tennis players' serves? Wow. You know, um, you know, I think a lot of resources out there are, are great. You know, there's a lot of other online sites that do some great job with the serves. And I think, you know, number one is the best resource is to find a pro that you can trust to understand your serve and, and help you really develop the serve. You know, a lot of times, you know, players, they go out there and, and they, they try to figure it out on their own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, a lot of times, you know, it, it's hard to understand what you're doing without seeing yourself. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't have the ability to, to get a coach local that you can trust, then, you know, go online, whether it's my site or one of the other, you know, many sites out there that offer a lot of these tips. And, you know, try to figure out where, where your serve is lacking and find some things that are focusing on that area. You know, and I've had people email me regarding some of my videos, you know, and how it can help them. And I'm more than willing to, to help them through email or, or whatever if they have a question on, you know, how this can help them. And I know there's some other sites out there that, you know, the people would do the same thing as well. But, you know, it, it's, it's really about finding a resource that, is available to that player, whether it's a, pro, a local pro 
or an online lesson or course, whether it's paid or free. Yeah, it's, it's great stuff, Brian. I mean, a lot of people are reluctant to hire a coach or, you know, invest in their game because um, they think they can fix it themselves. But it's, like you said, extremely difficult because, uh, you know, the coach is very experienced. They know what to look for and they'll help you accelerate your process, uh, your progress far faster than you can by yourself. I mean, the really the second best thing that you can possibly do would be to videotape yourself and then analyze, you know, what deficiencies you can spot uh, like like Brian said, and self analyze, and then try to find some resources online uh, that will help you in, in that area that you think you need help on. So now I, you know, I want to talk about um, performance tennis training, which you know, you've created, mm-hmm. and uh, you know you've put up, like I said, some really awesome videos, uh, helpful videos. Um, so how did you, you know, come up with the idea for creating uh, performance tennis training? Well, you know, it was a lot of, you know, last few years, a lot of, you know, colleagues of mine, you know, kind of always come to me as, you know, what drills would you do for, for this, or how would you teach this, or how would you explain this? And, you know, I'm more than willing to help anybody that, that asks. And I was, you know, the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, I'm sure there's a lot more people around, whether it's a player or coach that may be able to get something out of this as well. And, and that's kind of how it was all born. Um, and it was kind of just born kind of overnight a little bit. I, you know, I kind of posted my first video I posted on Facebook was me doing some cone drills, running around a cone. And, you know, I got a lot of feedback. Do you have any other ones? Do you have anything on this? And I was like, wow, I guess there's a need for this out there. You know, so that's kind of how I started, um, you know, doing a lot of my, uh, my, you know, videos lately were, you know, based on what people have asked for. You know, and I enjoy it. You know, it's kind of something different for me than, you know, doing a live lesson here. You know, I'm trying to think about how would I explain this to someone that's watching this on a video or a TV, you know, and and it's it's fun and I enjoy it. You know, I think it's something I'm going to continue long into the future. I love that. Definitely hope you do keep continuing uh, doing what you're doing. Um, And, you know, if somebody, you know, went to you and said, Brian, um, why should I check out performance tennis training and how can it help me improve my game? What would you say to that uh, player? Well, you know, I think what I try to do with my videos is I try to keep them short, concise, and to the point. You know, I don't want to sit there and lallygag around in a video and, and try to explain why you should do this. I want to keep it to the point and, you know, if this is the problem that you're having, let's get to the root cause of it. And then I want you to go implement it. You know, I think, you know, with, with some videos that are out there, you know, sometimes they can get a little long and I think sometimes that can be confusing to some players and I want to be concise. I don't want to go into too much in one video. I want to try to keep it really concise to what we're focusing on right there. Like the, the, uh, the slice video I did, um, I posted today that you saw, you know, we talked about the, the action of the wrist, you know, there's a lot of other things that could go on in a slice, but you know, we wanted to focus just on that because that's a problem. A lot of players have, you know, and that's what I try to do with a lot of my videos is I want somebody to be able to target what they have an issue with and then watch this two to five minute video that can address that. And then hopefully they can go and implement that. Great stuff, Brian. Um, you know, I just love the passion that you have. And, and also, you know, that your philosophy is essentially how can I provide the maximum value to everybody? So, you know, that's why you're, you're, you're to the point and, and just trying to help people improve. That's your number one priority. So that's fantastic. So you've shot a lot of videos already, um, even though um, performance tennis training, I think, is relatively young. Yeah. You know, what video did you enjoy shooting the most? One of the videos that I've been shooting uh, just recently that is um, going to be posted in December, scheduled to go live in December, is um, a video that I did on, you know, the one shot that you can use to beat the pusher. And I went a little bit uh, uncharacteristic on my other videos. So I got a little, my personality came out on this one a little bit. You know, because I know a lot of times when people play pushers, they can be kind of frustrated. So I kind of showed that side a little bit. And uh, and that was a blast um, to kind of, you know, do the video that way and kind of 
not always be so serious and have a little, you know, joking to the side in, in that video a little bit. That was a blast. And that one will come out in a couple months. Awesome. I'm glad that that sounds like a lot of fun. I'll be, definitely be looking for that one. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny because I remember, I can't remember if maybe a few months ago or, or whatnot, but I remember you posting, I think, your intro video on Facebook and you, and this is great, and I admire you, you, you asked for feedback on that video. And I remember, yep. you know, just commenting and just, you know, saying that it was great and just maybe you could do this and that. And, and then, you know, it's, it's really neat that, um, you know, now I'm talking to you on the podcast. It's pretty cool. But, you know, you've been doing great with, uh, with performance tennis training. So what plans do you have for the future of it? You know, my, my, my immediate plans is really to get, um, a wide range of stuff on online for players, especially on the YouTube channel where, you know, right now we got a lot of stuff on serves and, and we got some stuff on volleys. Um, we got stuff coming out that's going to cover basically every stroke. Um, in January, I actually have a serve series, which actually it's kind of funny. We're going over this today. Cause a lot of the stuff that we have gone over today, I have videos already created that are going to be going out in January where over the course of two weeks, I'm going to post a daily video over a lot of these aspects of the serve that we've gone over today. Um, and I'm going to start doing some courses similar to that where over the course of a week or two, we're going to touch on a lot of different aspects of each of the strokes, whether it's returns, volleys, net play, transition game serve etc that's awesome brian so is, is that a serve course going to be available for purchase at that time is that how it's going to work nope it's going to be 100 percent free on youtube so all you need to do is subscribe to my channel and you get it sweet sweet constantly providing amazing free value that's that's awesome so you know question that i love to ask all my guests and you've you know provided a ton of tips for us already of course but what would you say is your number one tip for our audience on how they can improve their tennis serves i think number one is go out there and actually practice it um you know the serve is the one shot that's for most players relatively boring to do by themselves but it's also the most critical shot in tennis it's the only way you can start at a point so you know, get out there and actually practice it because to get better using it in a match, you're going to have to to practice it so that you're comfortable with it. You know, a lot of times players go out there and just play matches or they're always playing points, and it's going to be very hard for a player to go out there and try anything new when there's something on the line. So number one tip is get out there and practice on a consistent basis and practice your serve with a purpose. Go out there every day with a purpose of what you're trying to achieve that day. Awesome. Love that. That's a, that should be a tweetable quote. So Brian, uh, where can we find you, uh, and performance tennis training live or online? Well, you can, you can come to uh, elite sports clubs in Milwaukee and, and do lessons here. Um, which, you know, not the biggest hotbed of tennis, but, um, for anybody that wants some cold weather right now, it's more than welcome to come up. Um, <laughs> Otherwise, on my Facebook page at uh, performance tennis training dot com or performance tennis training on uh, Facebook, or you can go on my YouTube channel um, where I post all of my videos, um, and that's at performance tennis training as well. Um, just search under YouTube. Awesome, Brian. And I'll link all those um, you know, resources in the show notes for sure. Uh, well, Brian, I just want to thank you again for coming on to the Tennis Files podcast and uh, providing so much value on basically the most important stroke in tennis. And I know that um, our audience, as well as myself, are going to really benefit a lot from this episode. So I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I wish you all the best of luck um, in, in the future of uh, performance tennis training. And I know you have a, a bright one. So keep doing what you're doing. And thanks for all the content and, and everything that you provide us. Oh, no problem. I really appreciate you inviting me to be part of it. And, you know, anytime you want me to come back and do any other strokes, um, I'm more than willing. Fantastic, Brian. We definitely will do it. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot, everybody. All right. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Brian Smith from Performance Tennis Training. Uh, I really appreciate all of his advice and thoughts on the tennis serve. Uh, and I think it was really fun to go step by step into uh, what exactly you all need to do to uh, serve optimally.
And you can find all the links mentioned in this episode, episode excuse me, in the show notes at tennisfiles.com slash 40. Uh, 40 episodes. It's, it's fantastic. We, uh, we've, we've kept going. We haven't quit yet. So it's, it's always a good sign there. I'm having a lot of fun doing this and appreciate you all for listening. And um, with that said, I'd really think it would be awesome if you all would uh, subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast, which you can do in the podcast app of your choice, um, whether that's iTunes or whatever other um, app you use to listen to the show. I just want to leave you all with a quote, as I often love to do at the end of the show, and this one is by Robert H. Schuller, and he said, Problems are not stop signs, they are guidelines. Love that quote. All right, everyone, really appreciate you tuning in, and uh, I will catch you on the next episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files Podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.